Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Welcome. The Word of Hope sermon series is a ministry of Grace Family Church of Rhode Island. It was instituted to bring sound teachings from the Word of God to as many people as possible. Our purpose is to offer you a message that is both practical and contemporary, that brings the Word of God to light in a way that makes sense in daily life. As you listen to this message, it is our hope and prayer that the Lord will bless you through it and bring you hope, comfort, and guidance. And now, Pastor Kotze. So much is said about love, even in a derogatory sense. All, all this emotionalism, all this love stuff, why don't we just stop with it and talk about something serious like what we have to do? I hope that today we will be able to understand the relationship that that one word that is so misused and so misunderstood today has to do with everything. First of all, love is not just an emotion. It's very powerful and may generate powerful emotions, yes, but love in itself is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. Love does not mean, ooh, I love this one, meaning translation, I like this one, and if I want to get it, I lust this one. Love in Scripture is defined as a giving of oneself for the benefit of the other in Christ. And if you don't believe that, just go to John 3:16, and you'll find it right there. But let's understand this passage here, John 13, verses 31 to 35, and and see what it has to do with it and what it teaches us about it. In verses 31 and 32, we have a reference to Judas having gone out, having gone out from the upper room when they had the Last Supper. And then Jesus making a comment. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him immediately. So Judas has gone out, and had gone out to betray Jesus. The events that would lead to his ultimate sacrifice for us had been set in motion. There was no stopping of it, not that Jesus ever wanted to stop it, but there was no stopping of it at this point. And so Jesus could say, now is the Son of Man glorified. Because he had committed himself to following through this final part of his unique ministry. And then again, not that he would ever consider not doing that, but all now was set in motion and things had started happening. Now, he uses the word glory and glorify. Glory has a special meaning in the Bible. When referred to people, glory means honor, fame, power, wealth, splendor. But in the Bible... Glory is often referred to God, and because of that, it takes a unique meaning, a different meaning. When it's referred to God, glory is his majesty, his power, represented by the brightness and the shining presence that often is associated with God's presence. Now, God is not light in the physical sense. God is not limited to brightness, but when God manifests himself and his presence, 
that's one way that the glory of God, the majesty of God, the power of God is manifest. Think about the tabernacle and the temple. They knew that the glory of God was present. They knew that God was present there because of his brightness and the shining presence that they saw that's so bright and so strong that it would overwhelm the people. In fact, when Moses met with God in the tabernacle, he would come out glowing, and then he would cover his face so the people would not see the fading of that glowing. Think of the brightness of Christ in the transfiguration and in the resurrection as he manifests the glorified state, the new state after the resurrection is described as, as bright as the sun in its full power. Think about the brightness in Christ's return. When again he shows himself and manifests himself now to the whole world. And again, the way is described is through that brilliance and brightness that is overwhelming. And remember when Paul was called by Jesus Christ, when Paul was confronted by Christ as he was going on his way to persecute the Christians, and he saw this bright light, a sub-blinding that lost. Paul lost his eyesight, and in that light, Jesus addressed him and says, why are you persecuting me? God's glory is an expression of a majesty, of his character, of his goodness, of his love, of his justice, of his holiness. Now, when you see Jesus Christ in this life during this earthly ministry, that glory was not visible in him, although in a way it was, but not physically. The glory of God was now manifested in a different way, in a spiritual way. The light, the brilliance, and the brightness was spiritual now. Jesus was appearing and looking like any other human. And yet, John says, if you understand, you could see the glory of God in him, that brilliance, that power, that glory of God in him. So he, some people say he laid aside the glory that he had as God. I would rather say that he was still fully God, but he also made himself fully man. And as such, he would be visible as we are, fully as fully man. But as the apostles could see, that glory of God was manifesting him spiritually, as we just said. One point here is very, very clear in scripture, is that we cannot add anything to God's glory. We cannot add anything to his majesty. We cannot add anything to his holiness. We cannot add anything to his power. What we can do is we can acknowledge his glory. We can give him honor and praise. Sometimes that's defined as glorifying God. That means giving him honor and praise and acknowledging his glory. And how do we do that? Through our words and action. And so did Jesus. Judas had gone out to betray Jesus, and Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. It was through the willingness of his sacrifice. It was through the, the attitude that Jesus had. It was through the obedience of Jesus. It was through the sacrifice of Jesus that the glory of God is manifest. It's through the words and the actions that we can bring honor and praise and give honor and praise to God as Jesus did. The magnificent moral splendor of God is so displayed in Jesus Christ and is so clearly displayed in Jesus' actions and in his sacrificial love for all of us. Jesus himself earlier in the Gospel of John was recorded to have said in John 5:41, I do not receive glory from men. You see, we cannot add anything to his glory. He gives glory to us because he is the one who has it. 
And then in verse 44, John 5, he added, he, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? So as you can see, when you compare verse 41 and verse 44 of John 5, we have nothing to offer to God, but he has everything to give to us. If we are not willing to receive, to seek that glory from God, then Jesus said, how can you believe? Because you look for glory from one another, thinking that perhaps you can give each other all that. In other words, we look at the human devil, at the human glory, not the glory of God. But then in verse 33, he says, little children, I am with you a little while longer, and you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, I now said to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Well, first of all, the little children now is, in the Greek especially, is an expression indicating intimacy and tender fondness. Jesus is now speaking in a very particular way to them, is referring to them with very strong affection, with great tenderness. And then he tells them, you cannot come where I'm going. You see, Jesus was about to die for them and for us. He was about to leave, and for a while, they could not follow him. Now, they had always followed them. His instruction to them was very clear. Come, follow me. But now he was saying, I need, to, I need to go now. And for a while, you will not be able to follow me. You will not be with me for a while. And so he left them with a very special instruction. It's almost like an officer that has to say to the, to the troops and say, has to say, look, people, I am here today. I have a, a, another assignment somewhere else, but here are my standing orders for you. Those are important statements. And Jesus gave them instruction, a commandment to, to keep in mind, even in his temporary absence. Because he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. We understand very clearly that loving one another, loving your neighbor, is not a new commandment. We find that all through Scripture. But what makes this commandment new is the way he put it that you love one another even as I have loved you. Now, this is in a moment and in a set of circumstances where Christ, Jesus Christ, is about to give himself to in the hands of the Jews and the Romans. He's about to suffer insult, rejection, humiliation, scourging, crucifixion, death. And in the presence of that, as all those events begin to occur, he says, love one another the way I love you. And I don't know about you, but the first thing I feel like saying to God says, Lord, I can't. So I can only get on my knees and confess my inability to do that. I cannot love that way, Lord. But I thank you and praise you because in Romans 5, 5, it says the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It was given to us. So thank you, Lord, for your presence in me because while I cannot love the way you do, you can love the way that you do. And you can do that in me and through me because you pour that love. You pour yourself. You pour your very presence in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit, so that all things, as Romans 13, verses 8 to 10 say, that all things are fulfilled by that love because love is a fulfillment of all the law. So when people come up and say, oh, stop it now. You, I am sick and tired of hearing you talk about love. Let's talk about law for a minute. It's nonsense. It's utter nonsense because in Romans 13 verses 8 to 10, it's clearly stated and declared that love is the fulfillment of the law. So if you want to talk about the law without the love, you're not fulfilling it at all. 
but let me show you how. The law says you shall not commit adultery. Now that's interesting. Because when you think of adultery, you know how it starts? It starts in this way. Ooh, I love that. Translation. Ooh, I lust that. And it starts in the heart as lust. And it grips the heart. And it starts saying, I got to have it. I have to do it. And then it turns into a full-fledged, blown-out sin and death. So what does love have to do with it? Love is a giving of oneself for the benefit of a beloved in Christ. Christ loved in faithfulness all the way to the end. He was faithful to his calling. He was faithful to us. He was faithful to the Father. He was faithful in all things. And how can we love the way he loves without that faithfulness? The answer is we can't. I have a wife, and I made a commitment to God, and I made a vow to God. Lord, I make the vow to give of myself to her for her benefit. Marriage is a covenant with God about the spouse, and it's a covenant of love. So in that covenant, I made a vow to love her, meaning to give of myself for her, for her benefit in Christ. And how could I possibly give of myself to her if I'm looking somewhere else? There is no adultery in love, and there is no love in adultery, but rather the opposite is lust. It says, you shall not murder. Well, James talks about murder, and it says a murder starts in our lust, in our greed. Well, there you have it, the opposite of love. But instead of killing one another, instead of hurting one another, if we give of ourselves for each other, then we, we seek reconciliation. Enough saying, I can't stand you, because that's not love. That's a resentment, that's a bitterness, that's unforgiveness. And it needs to be replaced with the attitude of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was not being treated very well, was he? Jesus Christ had not been made feel good when people were scourging him and nailing him on the cross and then lifting him up in such a way that it was a horrible ordeal. And yet, as he pulled himself up against the pain of attendance ripping in his body, he says, Father, please forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. While people were doing all those horrible things to him, he was giving himself for all of us, them included. We're not called to hate one another. We're not called to offend one another. We're called to be peacemakers and to give of ourselves for the benefit of the other. He says, you shall not steal. Where does stealing come from? I want that. I need it more than they do. It's all about me. What I want, what I think I need, what I lust. The scripture says, stop stealing. And instead, go to work and earn enough for your need and a little more so you can be a generous giver, meaning you can finally begin to understand that other people have needs as well, not just you. And out of that heart, out of that understanding, listen, you may need this more than I do, comes that giving of oneself for the benefit of the other in Christ. Do I need to even talk about the commandment uh, as in Romans 13 says, you shall not lust? I think by now it's so clear that lust is the opposite because it's a wanting to take instead of giving as love is. So love is the fulfillment of the law. But notice one thing though in verse 35 and, and that's very interesting because he says, you should also love one another the way I love you. You should also love one another. By this, by our willingness to express the love of God that is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, by our willingness to love one another and love others the way Christ loved us, 
they will know that we are his disciples. What do people see in us? Do they see you? Then it's bad news. Because when they look at you, they need to see Christ. They need to see the love of God being expressed and being poured and coming and, and exuding from you, coming out of you like rivers of living water. That's what they need to see in us, not ourselves, but Christ in us. Or do, they, do the people see arguing, bickering, jealousy, selfishness, bitterness, unforgiveness, cruelty? You know what love is? You know how the love of Christ is expressed in each one of us? By helping someone when it's not convenient. Oh, but wait a minute, you know, I'm tired. Well, yeah, but the need is right there. And God has made you, actually, God has given you the honor, the privilege of being able to see that need. And therefore, he's given you the honor and the privilege of representing him as you express his love toward that person in need, whether you feel like it or not. There have been times in my life in which I had to do things I absolutely did not want to do, but I had to. Because the alternative would have been to denounce, reject Christ. Expressing the love of Christ means giving when it hurts. And sometimes, oftentimes, actually I'm remember, reminded of that proverb that says, you know, there are two people, I'm paraphrasing it, there are two people in the world. There is the rich that never has enough to give, and the poor that somehow always has something to share. Expressing the love of God means looking out for the well-being of others and not just our own. And all we, we joke sometimes, Sue and I, because the Lord gave us the opportunity to experience an empty nest for a few months. <laughs> it's just enough to, for us to, to begin to savor the taste of, of an empty nest and enjoying each other and so on. And then, and then wham, gone. <laughs> and finally one moves out and poof, the other one moves in. And you know what? We joke about that. But you know how easy it would be for us to be so selfish and self-centered to make these people feel miserable for, for just the hospitality that God has given us the honor to extend? And yes, we did not extend hospitality only to our children. And sometimes, you know what? It was hard. Sometimes it was hard because when you feel like, especially at a certain age, when you feel like you want the privacy at home, when you feel like you want all these things, you realize, wait a minute, this is not love. I'm being selfish. All I want things for myself. I want my privacy. I want my peace. I want my control. I want this and that. And that's not right. What if God did that to us? What if Jesus said, listen, yeah, I was going to prepare a place for you in my father's house, but... It's getting kind of crowded there, you know what I mean? And it's a little bit uncomfortable, so why don't you guys just find your own? Oops. You know, expressing the love of God means accepting the hurt that life gives us without fighting back, and especially without biting back. You know, that Christianity is such a paradox. But one of the ways in which it is a paradox is the fact that contrary to some people's beliefs, we are not entitled, just because we have received the grace of God, we're not entitled to immunity from every trial and every pain and every sorrow in life. And some people, some Christians, don't understand that. Some Christians think that because they now they become Christians, they can just have a free ride with no problem, no pain, no sorrow, nothing. You know, that makes Jesus Christ a liar. Because he says, you will have tribulation in this world, but be a good cheer because I have overcome the world. You want to be my disciples? Then take your cross and follow me. He never told us that we're gonna have a free ride. 
So I find myself sometimes to tell, having to tell people, listen, whether you're a Christian or not, you will hurt. You will experience pain, you will experience trials, you will experience sorrow in your life. Now you have two options, however. You can experience that pain in Christ, or you can experience the pain in yourself, apart from Christ. You know, experiencing pain apart from Christ, fighting back against the pain, rejecting the fact that we are going to experience that pain, and, and fighting against it and with everything that we have, turns that pain into misery. And as hard as this may be to hear and to understand, in Christ we can accept that pain in faith, knowing that somehow, in some way, God is working in us through that. You know, it's not by accident that every single person, and you heard me refer to them and giving you several examples, but every single person in my life that I have defined, uh, defined as a giant in the faith is someone who is in serious trouble or in serious pain, and yet they rise above that pain, they accept the fact that that's their share for that moment, for that time, they rise above that pain, and they display the faith of Christ in that pain. Can that be done? When I thought I couldn't, I was faced with that, and I saw many examples around me that, yes, it can be. Is that the first thing I would be looking for? Believe me, no, no. Christianity is not masochism. No. But when it comes, and when it happens, instead of fighting against it, instead of rejecting the idea, we can say, Lord, I don't know. In all honesty, I have no idea why you allow this and why I have to go through this, but I don't need to understand. The only thing I need to understand, Father and Lord God, is that you are working something out in my life. And then Romans 8.28 is still in Scripture, and it still says that all things will work out for the good of those who love God. And then the chapter ends with the statement that nothing in the whole universe can ever separate us from the love of God who, that is in Christ Jesus, who was willing to go through so much pain, so much hurt, so many trials, and then die and give his life and rise and live for us now. And all of that, not for himself, but for us. So we can. I would rather go through pain with him and in him than without him. Because I don't like misery, but I like hope. And in Christ, we know that every ounce of pain that we experience eventually will produce fruit, good fruit in him. But apart from him, it's misery and despair. And it doesn't really work. How do we express the love of God individually and collectively? In every way, in every aspect of life. For example, what about evangelism? This big word that everybody is scared of. You know what that really sums up to? That the love of God is manifesting us because we see other people in trials, in trouble, in tribulation, without Christ. And the one thing they need the most in their life is Christ himself. And so out of that expression of love, we give of ourselves. We do something that perhaps at that moment feels uncomfortable, but we share hope with them. And as we share our hope, and as they see that love of Christ in us, as in verse 35 it says, by this, through that love that is expressed in us and through us, as we are willing to accept our role to love even as Christ loved us, then all men will know that you are my disciples, not just a few. And perhaps they will see something different. And even 
Come to ask questions. Yes, evangelism is not just for our own self-centeredness and selfishness. Evangelism is not just a way to multiply the membership in the church so we can feel better because our church is better than your church. Aha. Well, we got more members than you do nowadays. It sounds like, hey, our church is better than your church because we have more debts than you do. Evangelism is being intentional in sharing the best news ever with other people and not just holding it for ourselves. It's an expression of the love of God. What about discipleship? Striving to be more like Christ and encouraging others to be that way as well. Now, why would I want to be more like Christ? So that I can go and, and, and put a better suit and maybe a, a shinier tie and, and, and put a nice grin and say, I am better than you are. Of course not. That is so self-centered and selfish, isn't it? But what if I wanted to be more like Christ? What if you wanted to be more like Christ? Because in that way, you can be so much more of an asset for the person next to you. Because in that way, you can give so much more to the one who is in need. Because in that way, you can fulfill the scripture that says that if you don't provide for those of your own household, you are worse than an unbeliever. And the other scripture that says, love your own enemy. Because if you love only those who love you, what good is that? So we strive to be more like Christ, not just for ourselves, but because that's the best for others around us. And perhaps somehow, some way, we might even encourage them to grow in Christ. But can you imagine me coming up to you and, and you know, here I am, drunk, stoned. I come up to you and say, hey, you know, you follow me as I, as I follow whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I, th I think I was supposed to say as I follow Christ, right? Would you? Of course not. Because you're intelligent. Because you're smart. Because the Holy Spirit in you would, would set up all sorts of red flags and say, stay away from this guy. Get away from him. Don't follow him. But maybe show him something that he may want to follow you as you follow Christ. What about service? Meeting each other's needs in Christ. No, we don't need a big poster to show that we gave a, a check to the church today. We don't need to call Channel 10 to show that so-and-so gave an offering to church. And here, look at the big che fat check over here. You know, we serve because that's what Christ does. We serve one another. We help one another. We extend hospitality to one another. We extend and express the love of God toward one another because that's our calling, because that's what we're going to do for the rest of eternity in Christ. Because of the fellowship and the communion that we have with him. And what about worship? Oh, this thing that we call worship. That sums up to three songs and sung on Sunday. Yeah, I, I, I'm done with my worship. I went to church, I sung three songs, I'm done. Right? Because that's what worship is, right? Wrong. Worship means sharing with one another our encounters with God. When we gather together to worship, you know the worst thing we can do is to be so absorbed in ourselves that we don't have room for God. Because if we're so absorbed in ourselves and we leave God out of the picture, what do we have to share? You know what? There are so many clubs. There are so many associations out there. Pick one that fits you the best and go join them. Because at that point, it's better to join a club that does not pretend to be a church than to join a church that works and functions like a club. We are here for one reason. To share with one another our encounters with God and to encounter God even as we do that. That's why we're here, isn't it? We're here for him, not for ourselves. And so we want to offer the very best of ourselves to the Lord, not the leftover. 
Let me see. I'm busy this week, okay? I'm, I'm busy because I have to go out there and, and, and make money because I bought a new car. You know, it's one of those sports cars. No, no, no. It wasn't the red Ferrari this time. Sorry. That's an exception. I decided I couldn't afford the red Ferrari yet. But I got a new car. It's so nice and sporty car. So I have, you know, I'm full of debts up to you. So I got to work really hard because then I, I, want, a, I want a new appliances. You know, not, not the ones that just work. The ones that, that also glow in the dark and, and, and look cool in the kitchen and, and they speak to you and you push the button. You got the internet on your oven. I don't know why. But anyway, <laughs> okay. Um, and you watch the movie on the fridge. Uh, I'm an old-fashioned guy. I think I used to watch the movie on the TV, uh, and I used to go get the drink in the fridge. I, but things change, you know. So we have to get all this stuff. And, oh, by the way, it's Sunday morning. Um, I didn't have time to prepare the sermon, so I'm going to go come over here and just wing it. Uh, and, you know, it, it's going to be okay because um, I'm good with words. You know, and I, and I can entertain you for 30 minutes with saying a bunch of blah, 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 and blah, blah, and blah, blah. And, and, and you know, in addition to offending you, because that would mean that you're such dodo, so you don't know the difference, which you are not, because the Holy Spirit is in you as well. But in addition to offending you, that, I think, is a total disrespect for God, don't you think? Because it offers God the leftover after all these pressures and all these things, all these, all these weeds and thorns that suffocate the seed that he has planted in us. Then we just give him, hey, you know, God, all I have for you is five minutes. I'm thinking, you know what? If that's the way we do church, I'll tell you what. Pay attention. If that's the way we do church, I am out. And I hope you are too. Because worship is not just singing two or three songs at church. Worship is a state of, heart, of the heart. Worship is what we do every moment of our life as we share with one another and with God our encounters with Him. As we encounter God when we meet someone on the street. We encounter God when we talk with someone else. We encounter God when we do something that is uncomfortable for us to do but is necessary for the well-being of another person. When we encounter God, because we're willing to love one another the way he loves us. And that is a sacrificial love. A love that places the other above ourselves. And that's what Jesus said, and it places God above all things. Even our own life. Are we going to give the best of ourselves to the Lord? Or are we going to give the leftovers? So you see... I hope it's clear by now that when we talk about that love, we're not talking about sentimentalism. Because listen, I don't think that Jesus had good feelings while he was going through what he was describing here. I, didn't th I don't think that Jesus went, oh good, Judas has gone out. They're going to come and get me. Yay! No, no. I don't think Jesus was having a good time as he was sweating blood in Gethsemane. I don't think he was having a good time when people were spitting on him and putting a crown of thorn on his head and hit it with sticks so that the thorn would sink deep in the skin of a head. I don't think he was having a good time when he was being scourged or nailed to that cross or lifted up, hanging on the tendons and the muscles and, and the joints of his body. He was not having a good time. He was not experiencing good feelings, but he was expressing the love of God for you. And he's asking us to do the same, to represent him, to be in communion with him. Because as he said, if we suffer with him, yes, I'm talking about suffering. Because sometimes that means that we accept our own share of sufferings in order to benefit others. And scripture says if we suffer with him, we're going to be glorified with him. 
Oh yeah, that glory. Wait a minute. Didn't he say that now is the Son of Man glorified because he was willing to give himself for us? Oh yes. Let us be Christians. Which means let us be followers of Jesus Christ. Which means let us love one another as he has loved us. Amen.